Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium. And here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Just a few things before we get started today. First of all, I am doing this chat on Fireside. If you have not yet joined me on Fireside, you can do so by following me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. And there is a link in my bio where you can follow me on Fireside. And these chats on Fireside are live, so anybody can join as long as you have the link. So head on over and you can meet us here. I'm going to be start, start, I'm going to be hosting podcasts on Thursdays. Not sure exactly the time yet, but it will be Thursdays uh, pretty consistently starting now, which is May 13th. So check us out over there. Join me. And I just want to welcome Samuel Moore Sobel to the show today. Samuel is an author, speaker, and columnist. His debut memoir, Can You See My Scars?, is a story of a harrowing encounter with sulfuric acid, trauma, and severe burns. His book is currently available for purchase through Mascot Books and on Amazon. He writes about his trauma and his experience as a burn survivor. He has been invited to share his story with audiences across the country and offers practical advice on how to overcome adversity. He has a degree in government and international politics and currently lives with his wife in Northern Virginia. You can learn more about Samuel at samuelmoresobel.com. Welcome to the show, Samuel. If you haven't subscribed to my newsletter yet, please go to DrAmyRobbins.com and go ahead and subscribe. Every other week, I send out guided insights called Soul Wisdoms and also give you a little sneak peek as to what's on the show, what you can hear coming up on wherever you get your podcasts, and also what you can join me live on Fireside for. So Fireside is a platform where you can come on, the audience can ask questions and participate in my show. Also, if you haven't been had a chance to check out my Patreon page, just go to Patreon and put in my name, Amy Robbins, and you can see the different levels if you become a subscriber to uh, any of that, then there's little added bonuses that you get at each level, 5, 10, and 20, or whatever you can to support the show. Thank you all for your support and enjoy the show.
Thank you so much for having me on, Amy. It's an honor to be here. So I'm excited to talk to you because one of the things that I often talk about on my show is this notion of making meaning, making meaning out of tragedy, out of difficulty, with this, which is something that you have surely done. So can you start by telling us about what happened to you and your story? Absolutely. So my journey begins on September 1st, 2009. I was 15 years old and I was just about to start my sophomore year of high school. And I was hired for a day to move boxes and furniture for a man who lived nearby in my community. And he described the job as moving boxes and furniture from his home to a nearby storage facility. But when I arrived on September 1st, 2009, the details of the job immediately changed. And at the time I chalked it up to miscommunication, but as the day unfolded, there was more and more miscommunications and things that that changed throughout the day. Uh, so for instance, at that point we were told no, and instead of taking items from the man's house to this storage facility, we were to empty the storage facility, bring the, the contents of that in the facility back to his home, and then from there take it to a friend's house, whatever was left over that he couldn't fit into his garage, to a friend's house uh, who lived, in his words, just down the road. Uh, it turned out that his friend lived much longer uh, uh, away than, than he indicated. Uh, it, five minutes became 10, 10 became 20, and then all of a sudden it had been more than 45 minutes. Uh, and I found myself in, in a place I didn't recognize that I'd never been before. Uh, I noticed we'd cross county lines. And so my anxiety level is just you know, continuing to go up as with each passing minute as as the U-Haul truck gets closer and closer to this this person's house. And when you're with him. You have no way to kind of escape if you need to. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm with him in, in this truck and we're we're just, you know, kind of going where where he's he's leading. Uh and we end up uh at this person's house. Uh, and she lived at the top of this hill. It was it was kind of off a gravel road up at the top of this hill. And there was a shed that was at the bottom of the hill uh, where he was backing the truck to because apparently we were going to be taking what was in the truck and putting it in this woman's shed. Uh, once we arrived at the house uh, and, and he backed the, the truck down to the bottom of the hill, the woman opened the shed and it was filled to the brim with boxes and furniture and, and just extraneous items. And so we were then informed that we were going to have to empty her shed before getting the, the things in the truck into the shed. So the, the job just keeps getting bigger and taking longer. Uh, and, and so I'll, I'll never forget a box making its way into my hands and looking down, just seeing books and hay. And when I say hay, it was literally straw protruding from this box, which I thought was kind of odd, but who am I to judge what people have in their sheds, right? Uh, and, and so I, you know, kind of look down, it seems fine. Uh, and, and the woman tells me, just toss it. And there's a cement slab that's nearby that we're tossing everything onto. And the second it hits that cement slab, an explosion rings out. And I can see this substance that's flying towards me. I don't know what it is, but I see this kind of liquid coming towards me. And, and miraculously, I close my eyes. And then the second it hits my face, within a second or two, the pain just begins. And so you are here. You had a friend with you. Yes. But you are at this place where you don't really know where you are. This yeah. strange man has is with you. So so sort of take us through a bit about what happens next and and how this all continued to unfold and what the 
phys- the, the physical damage was, frankly, because that's what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so from there, uh, eventually I'm, you know, th- this hits my face. I'm in an overwhelming amount of pain trying to figure out what this is. Uh, the man leads me up to the top of the hill and he's on the phone with 911 and I hear them asking him questions. Uh, we get to the top of the hill and he, the 911 operator has asked him what the substance was and he doesn't know. So he says he's going to go back down and, and find out what that is. And he hands me the phone. And so I'm at the top of this hill and I, I'm alone and, and uh, I'm writhing in pain. I get to the point where I can't stand anymore. I drop to my knees uh, and, and I, I just, I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know what's happening to me. I mean, it feels like I, this could be the end. I'm starting to wonder whether I'm going to die on this hill in the middle of, of a place where I don't know where I am. And, uh, I'm looking at all of these trees that are surrounding the property and I'm looking around and wondering if this is the last time I'm going to see trees. Eventually the paramedics come and they lift me onto a, a, a stretcher, lift me into the ambulance. And that's when I learn, I overhear a conversation where uh, the woman is having a conversation with the authorities and it's relayed to me that it, the substance is uh, sulfuric acid, uh, that it was a glass jar of sulfuric acid that was at the bottom of this box uh, stored in, in, in a dangerous manner. And that's what that had burned me. Uh, once I get to the hospital, they... they uh, take off all my clothes, they throw me into a chemical shower, and and that's the first relief I get where the pain starts to subside a bit. Uh, and then from there, I'm taken What's to a, a room. What's a chemical shower? So a chemical shower is where they're, they're trying to uh, wash all of the chemical off your body, and so it's repeated. It's just kind of this big... Uh, open shower area where they kind of put you there and you're, and they're kind of washing everything. They want to wash all the, in my case, sulfuric acid off of my body. Uh, and they didn't know where it all was. Right. So they, they're, they're thinking, you know, they see it, it was to my face and my arms. Um, but that just to be safer are, are, are showering me all over to make sure that, that it didn't hit anywhere else. Um, and try to wash it off my body and kind of reduce the impact of, of the acid to my, to my face. Um, so, so from there, uh, I'm taken to the to the hospital room, and they tell me that uh, I I have suffered second and third degree burns to my face and arms uh, as a result of this accident. And they're they're doing a lot of tests. They're trying to figure out if I swallowed any. Um, I'm, I'm told that if I swallowed even a drop, it could burn through my esophagus. It could burn, you know, destroy my organs. And so at that point, my life would be in danger. Um, they're also really concerned about my eyes, based on my eyelids had been burned, and so they're really worried about my eyesight. Um, we would find out later that even just one drop in your eye will make you blind. And so there's a lot of concern about, you know, my organs. Um, and from there, they're telling me they're going to medevac me to a, a hospital in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, that can better handle my care. So eventually I'm, I'm medevaced uh, to, to that hospital and I spend the, the night there. Uh, and, and from it was, you know, really just trying to make sense of this. And I noticed kind of right away, as you're, you know, kind of talking about physical damage, right, right away, um, you know, my parents arrive, uh, my dad's crying, uh, you know, family, friends arrive, they're, they're crying. And so I kind of know that this is, this is not going to, uh, you know, the, the damage is there. Um, I was kind of, the, the first time I see myself is in the hospital. A, a nurse overhears me saying I hadn't seen myself yet and threw a lap in, into my, uh, or threw a mirror into my lap rather. And, and I got to see myself for the first time without a psychologist or without any kind of social worker there um, and had to kind of take in my face. And to me, it just looked, it, it, I didn't recognize myself. I had these large black, brown, even green stains on my face. 
I, I didn't I didn't see where who the image was that was f- reflected back to me. Uh, and it was just, it, it was clear in that moment. That was the first moment, Amy, where I felt like my life is never going to be the same. Well, and that's an interesting thing you bring up idea is, is who are we when we no longer recognize ourselves? Because so often, I mean, we are obviously a culture that is obsessed with physical beauty and, and how someone looks and to look at your own self in the mirror and wonder one, who is this person? And two, what is this person going to look like? And how am I going to go back into the world as, as a different physical person than I had known myself? What was that like for you? Yeah, it, it was, you know, it's interesting. Somebody told me a few years ago that that the face is the first thing people look at, right? When you meet someone, the, the face is what you're drawn to. And it's such an important part of your identity is, is your face. And, you know, for me, going back into that world, it just felt so disorienting. You know, for, for the first few, uh, you know, months, I didn't really leave the house because of the risk of infection. So I was uh, stuck on homebound tutoring. So unlike the rest of my class, uh, I, I did not go back to school like everybody else the next week. I was stuck on homebound tutoring. And uh, so the teachers would teach all day and then they would come to my house in the afternoon and, and teach me at my dining room table. And so that happened. And it's interesting that so much of this experience over the last year with, with, with the coronavirus has brought back some of what I felt in those days of not being able to leave the house, of having to be careful of hugging others because of, of the affected areas, having to wear antibiotic on my face at, at all times uh, in the beginning. So not able to, you know, having to kind of keep my distance. Uh, it, it was such a, it was really disorienting and it felt really lonely. And you know, I didn't go back to school until that later that fall. Uh, and, and it was, you know, going back, it just felt like walking into a different world. I, I felt like, you know, it, I didn't have as much in common with my classmates anymore. I'd had this life altering experience that, you know, I would had to almost grow up overnight. I felt like I had, I had made that trek from, you know, being a teenager into adulthood and having to grapple with these really adult, uh, you know, f- thoughts and feelings and, 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 and having to be in and out of surgeries and, it was really, really hard and, and kind of noticing, you know, oh, does this person notice? Am I going to have to explain what happened to me and having to struggle with, you know, distilling my story into a 30 second soundbite when somebody asked me, you know, after a class or in the hallway. And so it was, it was a really disorienting experience. And I, I really struggled to find a, a way to kind of come, you know, come back to normal as that word, whatever that word means, right? But, but to kind of a return to normal and or a return to what life looked like before the accident. And ultimately, well, it was a new normal. And what a challenging time to have to go through something like that. Like teenager moving into adulthood, you know, figuring out who you are and your identity is so important at that time. And then to have to really like have that all stripped away is, I just, how did you deal with the emotional piece of all of that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think for me, I, I had to, you know, in, in the first few months, you're really focused on the physical recovery, right? Everybody's really focused on, you know, the constant doctor's appointments, the, you know, figuring out what, what's the damage going to be like, how many surgeries are required. But, you and know, tell us the- a bit about what that, what the physical process was like for you. 
Sure. Yeah. So, so for me, it was, I ended it. It was, it was a years long journey. I, I had my last surgery only three years ago. So it was, you know, more than a dozen operations to my face. Uh, there was a, a skin graft at one point where they took skin from my ear and tried to put it under my nose for the scar under my nose. Cause it was pulling my, uh, it was pulling my right nostril down and I was having trouble with, with, with breathing. Um, but also, you know, out of that side of my nose, but also, uh, just, just the constant, parade of surgeries. I did uh, laser operations as well, where they're trying to break up the density of the scarring, kind of to reduce the the redness and the density so that it's not as visible. Uh, you know, really just just anything that they could do, they, they did over, over a period of about eight or nine years of just continual operations. Uh, and, and I'm, I, you know, just for the right, I mean, I, I've healed really well, right? For those who, you know, see me now, it's, I look very different. My, my doctor jokes that I look like I got in a bad bike accident, but not, not a sulfuric acid uh, accident. Yeah, so no, you would really never, better. you would never even, I'm looking at you because we're Zooming while we're doing this. Um, you would never know. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's healed really well. And I'm very grateful for that. I had great doctors who, who did a lot of work to, to get, get me here. Uh, but healing was hard. Physical healing was a lot of work, but I would say emotional healing was a lot of work as well. And, you know, for me, I, I you know, once a few months passed, I started to notice these symptoms I was experiencing, right? So for me, it was irritability, uh, you know, having trouble sleeping, insomnia, uh, you know, having issues getting out of bed in the morning, just lacking in energy, unable to focus, um, just feeling really isolated, really alone. And so I ended up going to counseling, uh, which was one of the best decisions I made early on in, in, in this process of going to see a psychiatrist. And he uh, diagnosed me at the time with symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, depression. And so it was a really, you know, long journey of identifying what I would call those emotional scars. You know, for me, the, the emotional scars in some way were even more impactful than the physical scars. Um, and, and, and sometimes they kind of fed into each other, right? So whenever I would have a surgery, the emotional fallout was, was hard to grapple with as well because it was opening up those same areas that had been injured in the first place. And so it just felt like it brought back a lot of memories. You know, I'd start having nightmares again and, and kind of, you know, it would just be really unsettling. And so it was kind of this, this constant struggle for several years to, to achieve a place of, of physical health, but also uh, good mental health as well. It sounds like the two really walked hand in hand. It's like you can't, and, and I talk about this all the time, you can't deal with if you've had some sort of physical trauma, really any trauma, without really dealing with the emotional implications of that because it's just, it's, there's so much there. I mean, this is not even remotely close to what you experienced, but I was just with a healer this morning a woman who helps me heal. We had a whole discussion about what it means to be a healer. And I had fallen this week and twisted my ankle. And she, again, I'm not comparing a burn face to a twisted ankle in any way. But we were talking about all the things that went through my mind as this was happening. Like, oh, oh shit, my summer's ruined. Like, oh my God, my ankle's going to be broken. What does that mean? What am I going to have to do? I'm so weak. How did this happen? That was stupid of me to do something like that, right? Like we, we tell ourselves all of these stories in just a moment. And mm. so when we have any sort of long-term trauma, any sort of um, acute trauma, what is going through our mind at that point that we're probably not aware of because it's boom, 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 right? One thing after another. 
is so quick, but that gets stored. That gets that gets stored in our physical body in some way. So you had like the physical scars, the emotional scars of what happened and everything that you probably went through as this was going on, you know, you said, and you describe in the book, you call your dad, you're a little bit nervous. Like, is this is some, something doesn't seem quite right here. Like you had those feelings of intuition where you were like, I'm not sure about this. And I believe your dad said like, maybe you shouldn't go or just tell him you're done. And you felt like I need to commit to this. I already committed. So all of those things get stored psychologically. sealed off. And that was probably the long standing scar, as I would say, the emotional wound that I took with me. And I took that into my 20s. And I, I, you know, ended up in relationships, I describe a little bit in my book, but ended up in relationships that weren't healthy for me and, and, and where I wasn't treated well, but, but I stayed in them because I thought, well, I didn't think anybody was ever going to want to be with me. And so they accept my scars. So I have to, you know, again, kind of that attitude of, well, I have to commit, right? And I have to keep going and doing this. And and so that was really a painful part of my story of, you know, really feeling unlovable because of not only the physical scars, but also the emotional scars and just feeling like, feeling hopeless in the, in, in the area of romance. Well, yeah. And I mean, to, the importance I think you talk about is is working through all of this, understanding why you're feeling this way and how do you how do you deal with that how do you feel lovable again when you are looking in the mirror and feel unlovable yeah yeah it, it, you know i think it takes a lot of work right it's healing is is a lot of work it's not you know the 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 uh, the saying of time heal, heals all wounds i mean there's truth in that right time can sometimes give you distance to be able to process things, but but you still have to work at it. You can't just kind of, you know, leave it to the side and, and hope that it heals on its own. It takes a long time. And I think for me, I had to really identify uh, a set of tools. And I was introduced to this concept uh, with my psychiatrist, and it's something that I, I put in the book and I've carried with me ever since, is the idea that there's you can assemble a toolbox filled with tools 
that can help you to combat those feelings, whether it's, you know, symptoms of PTSD and depression, or if it's things like that, that kind of negative self-talk of, oh, no one's ever going to love me, or I don't, I don't feel good looking, or, you know, all of those things. And so I really had to develop an, an arsenal of tools. And I think it looks different, perhaps for everybody. I think for me, you know, writing was it was a big element of that. It's it's in part why I wrote the book. It was turning you know my journals and in, into a story, uh, but but it was really writing and making sense of what had happened and seeing the totality of that experience. As you said earlier, of kind of everything that had happened, it was it was going back and looking at it all from from a ten year view, right? In, instead of just the what happened in that year uh, or even in that moment. And then there was also things, you know, like the regular things, right? The, you know, healthy diet, exercise, um, which was sometimes hard to do because of the, the, the constant surgeries of being able to not being able to exercise and not be able to run and go on a run. Um, but, you know, those, those were really important. And then the other thing I would say as far as, you know, making meaning, right? For me, I really had to find ways to give back and serve others. And that was a key part of my journey uh, because it got me outside of my own experience and outside of my own head. And it also helped me see the commonalities in the human experience. You know, I, I know when I tell my story, at first people are kind of, you know, it, it, not many have gone through, you know, having a sulfuric acid burn, right? But but we can all relate to having hard things happen in adversity and physical pain or also emotional pain and going through a bad breakup or a death in the family or things even, you know, we all go through uh, adversity and we all have, have things that happen that we'd rather not happen. And so the key is not so much will these things happen? It's, it's the key question is, what will I do once they, once adversity arrives? And for me, I had to make that choice to say, you know, this isn't, this isn't the face I wanted. And this isn't the story I wanted, but it's what's happened. And, and I, I can either kind of choose to wallow in that. And there was days I certainly did. And I talk about that in the book or, or, or I can rise above that and say, you know, I'm going to reach for more and I'm going to use this experience to impact others for good. And, and that was my goal. And, and that's been the goal of the book is to, you know, nothing makes me happier than to hear from readers and say, hey, you really, you know, helped me see things differently, or you helped me see my own scars. I, I mean, it, it's amazing to be able to use this story and, and transform it from this accident that never should have been uh, because of the negligent storage of, of sulfuric acid into something that has meaning because it's helped other people. And so for me, that, that was kind of the, the array of tools I had to assemble and it wasn't easy. I mean, I've, I reached that place of what I would call, you know, acceptance of my face or acceptance of my appearance. It, it really took a good eight years to really get to that place and say, you know what, I, you know, to look in the mirror and not see my scars as object of shame or, uh, you know, just just ugliness, right? But to see them as um, triumph and to see them as uh, survival and evidence of all that I'd been through. And so it's kind of, it took a while to get to that place and it was, it took a lot of hard work to get there. Well, and I think when we talk about, you know, you said time heals all wounds. What does it mean to heal, right? What does it mean to heal the wounds? Because the scars are still there physically and emotionally. So it doesn't mean that it's gone. It means that it's still there. And it, I think it becomes, how I think of it at least, is it becomes more of an integrated part of you. Mm. That it's, yeah. it's no longer like something that, that, happened to me or you're no longer you no longer feel like a victim in it but that you start to take ownership of like the scars are a part of you and they're a beautiful part of you and they led you to where you are today which again i think is important for people to hear and understand that was not something that happened immediately that took 8 years of probably talk therapy and you know all the tools writing journaling all of those things that helped move you to that point. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, I'm, you know, talking to everyone here, your audience, it's, it's, uh, I'm coming to you, you know, more than 11 years after what happened. So, so, so keep that in mind, right? This is, this is not overnight. This is not something that you wake up the next morning and feel like you've reached that place. And that's okay. I mean, I think it's okay to, to, to take that journey and keep going. I think sometimes as a culture, we rush you know, reaching a place of acceptance or forgiveness. And it's, it's okay to take some time to get there as long as you're working towards that. I think for me, you know, what really helped me too, Amy, is, is seeing how my scars in some ways, uh, you know, and again, I want to be careful I say this because I, I, it's not that I look back and say, I'm really glad this accident happened. And of course, if I was given a time machine I, and if there was anything I could do, I would go back and change it. But I do see the things that have come out of it and the lessons I've learned that I probably wouldn't have learned any other way. And so I see now today how my scars, uh, they make me a better manager in, in my day job at work, right? They make me a better leader, a more empathetic and compassionate leader. Um, they, you know, make me a better husband. I, I did, despite my fears, I did meet the love of my life uh, a few years ago and we did get married last August and we have a, a beautiful life together and I'm so grateful to her for her love. My wife's name is Megan, her, her love and her acceptance and support. And so they, my scars make me a better husband, right? They make me more compassionate husband, a more empathetic husband. Um, you know, and one day I think they'll make me a better father too. And, and so I, I see, you know, it, it, and I also see the way my scars have helped other people. And so all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's hard to rail against my scars like I used to, right? When, when I see some of those, those good things and those positives, and I think we can take anything, right? I think anything, no matter how horrible or traumatic the experience, and, and we, there are things that come out of it that aren't all bad, right? There's things that we can kind of look back and say, you know, there's, there, there's lessons I've learned here that as horrible as this was and as much as I wish it didn't happen, I can take forward and I can keep moving and I can use this story to impact others. And so I think it's, you know, you do, it's, it's taking the things you can control and, and I can control my response and how I, how I feel and how I choose to view myself in the present. Uh, and that's something I can control. I can't control what happened to me, but I can control how I respond. Well, and what, what is so amazing to me in all of this is that you were, what you, you're, you were 15? Yeah. 15. 15 year old adolescent boy that this happens to. And how you were able pretty, I mean, it seemed like it in the book. I don't know if it was in, in real life, but pretty quickly started to get involved in helping people who struggled as well. Can you talk about that? Like what, what drove you to do that at a, at a young age? Because it's hard enough to get kids to volunteer to do anything to help others who are less fortunate than themselves. Um, yeah, that's a great point. I, yeah, for me, you know, I, I was really blessed because I had some really good mentors and, and good people in my life who were speaking, um, you know, really, really good messages into my life, even during this time. And so whether it was my parents or, you know, I talk about um, someone in the book who, who I consider my grandfather, who, who was so kind and caring, and he really encouraged me uh, really soon after the accident to, to give back and to find ways to serve others. And so for me, yeah, it, it did. It happened really quickly. Um, I, I started the summer after uh, the accident. I was once I was kind of in a place to be able to physically do that. I was able to uh, be a camp counselor at a camp for uh, children with special needs, and it was an amazing opportunity to give back and to um, work with these these children who who taught me so much. I mean, I came away. Uh, they probably taught me more than I taught them. It, it was an amazing experience, and I think for me, it was you know really able. Get, again, getting myself in a place kind of getting outside my head and looking around and saying, wow, you know, everybody has really hard things that happen. And, 
you know, some, again, I, I always tell people, you know, the comparison game is always a slippery slope, right? But there's always someone who has it worse than you and there's always someone who has it better, right? But but the point being, we, we all have hard things happen and, and there's just heartbreaking things that happen to all of us. And, you know, really getting out there and, and meeting other people and hearing how they overcame those struggles is really impactful. Uh, and, and it was really helpful. And so I, I'm grateful for the opportunities I had to serve other people, but to also get a glimpse of what their recovery might have looked like, even though their circumstances may have been very different than mine, because it, it helped inform my own story and it helped me as I walked my own healing journey. So last question before I will open it up if anybody has questions from the audience. My last question is, talk to me a little bit about the title of the book, Can You See My Scars? Because I think it's so poignant when we think about how we view people and how we view the scars that they have. Uh, there's a famous book, The Things That They Carried. I forget who the author mm -hmm. is, which I read years ago. It'll come to me, I'm sure, as soon as we get off this call, uh, where <laughs> they, you know, they talk about like all of the, these, these things that we bring with us over time. And um, so what did that title mean to you? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think, you know, for me, it was, that was the hardest part of putting the book together was, you know, one of the, one of the hardest parts, it was, it, it's writing a book is a journey. Um, but, you know, it, it, what was, what was the title going to be? And I played around with so many different titles. I was really trying to figure out, you know, what encompasses this journey, not only the physical aspect, but the emotional aspect, the, you know, the, my story has all these elements, right? It's the coming of age, who am I in the face of adversity? And, who, who am I going to be after this has happened to me? Um, you know, but also kind of so some of the adolescence, but but also you know just kind of the, the physical recovery. Um, you know, the, the interactions with others and and, and family, and, and there's just so many different themes, and it was hard to find what what was going to encompass all of that. Uh, but I was actually you know having a conversation with my wife and 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 uh, and my brother, and we were kind of sitting around and, and my brother came up with the title and said, I, I you know I was kind of throwing some different ideas out, and he said, no, it's can you see my scars? And that was it. It just kind of clicked. And and for me, I think the the power of the title is it, it's kind of a, a you know a couple different meanings, right? On the one hand, I, I, I as I write about in the book, there were so many people who said they didn't see my scars or said that they weren't there. I, I felt like there was a lot of that reaction where either people really saw it or people would say, "Oh, I don't I don't see it." And whether that was just a coping mechanism to try to make me feel better or themselves feel better, right? Uh, but but you know, it was kind of like I, I wanted. On the one hand, I felt like there had been people who tried to tell the story for me or people who hadn't listened to what it was that I had said. Um, but be, to be able to kind of, you know, tell my story in my own words and be able to do that in a way that uh, was was showing my scars to the world, it was just so meaningful. And I, I wanted the world to see my scars, both physical and emotional uh, and just in every every scar that I had, and I wanted to offer them to the world uh, in the hopes that it would it would help them along their own journey as they faced adversity in their own lives. Uh, because I think there's there's lessons I learned that I wanted to share with others, so that hopefully they could avoid some of the pitfalls that I that I fell into along my journey, but also be able to just you know reach that place of healing. So for me, the title is is really meaningful, and it's just a great you know, way to, to, to hear from others. I get some people who tell me, some readers who say, oh, I don't see your scars, right? They're, I don't see them at all. Um, and then others who, you know, read through the book and they see some of those scars. I've had some people who knew me during that time and have come back and said, you know, I, I see it now. I didn't get it then, but I, but I see it now. And that's really meaningful too, of kind of coming full circle. So 
Yeah, that was kind of the, the thought behind the title, and it's kind of a couple different meanings. But you know, can you see the physical scars, the emotional scars, but but just kind of the entirety of the experience. Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about it, I think about again how many people are walking around with scars that we don't see. Yeah, absolutely. So many, right? There's so many of us who had you know Everyone. minor ones. Everyone, right? Everybody yeah. has scars. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's kind of, you know, you see mine, right? People can see the scars on my face, but in, in some ways that at least clues people into that I have them. I think there's plenty of uh, people out there who, who you can't see them and it's easier to hide. Mm-hmm. So Sam, if people want to learn more about you and what and your story, where can they find you? And then I'm going to go ahead and open it up. If there's anybody who has any questions, just let me know, raise your hand and I will call you up on the stage. And if not, we will just wrap it up. So go ahead Perfect. and let everybody know where they can find you. Absolutely. So you can find, my book is called Can You See My Scars? Uh, it's available on Amazon.com. Uh, the Audible version just came out a few weeks ago, so you can also get the Audible audiobook version of my book. Um, but you can find more about me on SamuelMoore-Sobel.com. Uh, or you can also find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at smore underscore Sobel. And this will all be in my show notes as well. So again, if anybody has questions, I'm going to open it up for questions. I'll give it a minute or two if people want to raise their hand. Probably not a minute or two, probably more like 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well. Looks like no takers, but that's okay. Um, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time with us today and for sharing your beautiful story and inspiring us about how we can make meaning and find meaning in our own life. I think it's always just so profound to hear how other people make sense of what happens to them and move forward and don't let adversity hold them back or stop them, but they just keep trudging on. So thank you. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me on. This this was great. Thank you for your thoughtful questions and thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.